Chapter six of Jeremy by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six Family Pride. One. I am afraid that too great a part of this book is about old maids, but it is hard for anyone who knows only the thriving, bustling world of today to realize how largely we children were hemmed in and surrounded by a proper phalanx of elderly single ladies and clergymen i don't believe that we were any the worse for that and to such heroines as miss jane maple miss mary trefusis and old miss jessamine trenchard i here publicly acknowledge deep and lasting debt but it did make our life a little monotonous a little unadventurous a little circumscribed and because i am determined to give the whole truth and nothing but the truth about the year of jeremy's life that i am describing this book will also i am afraid be a little circumscribed a little unadventurous the elderly lady who most thoroughly circumscribed jeremy was of course putting miss jones who was a governess and therefore did not count aside aunt amy now aunt amy was probably the most conceited woman in polchester there is of course ordinary human conceit of which every living being has his or her share i am not speaking of that miss amy trefusis might be said to be fanatically conceited although she was now a really plain elderly woman it is possible that when she was a little girl she was pretty in any case it is certain that she was spoiled when she was a little girl and because she was delicate and selfish she received a good deal more attention and obedience from weak and vacillating elders than she deserved after her growing up she had a year or two of moderate looks and she received during this period several proposals these she refused because they were not good enough and something better must be coming very shortly but what really came very shortly was middle age and it came of course entirely unperceived by the lady she dressed and behaved as though she were still twenty although her brother samuel tried to laugh her out of such absurdities but no sister ever pays attention to a brother on such matters and aunt amy wore coloured ribbons and went to balls and made eyes behind her fan for season after season then as time passed she was compelled by her mirror to realise that she was not quite so young as she had once been so she hurriedly invented a thrilling past history for herself alluding to affair after affair that had come to nothing only because she herself had ruthlessly slain them and dressing herself more reasonably but with little signs and hints in the shape of chains and coloured bows and rings that she could still be young if she so pleased and that she was open to offers although she could not promise them much encouragement she liked the society of canons and was to be seen a great deal with old canon borlase who was as great a flirt as he was an egotist so that it did not matter to him in the least with whom he flirted and sat at the feet of old canon morphan who was so crazy about the discoveries that he had made in the life of ezekiel that it was quite immaterial to him to whom he explained them she descended from these clerical flights into the bosom of family life with some natural discontent her brother samuel she had always disliked because he laughed at her 
her sister she did not care for because she was very innocently poor lady flaunting her superior married state and her brother-in-law she did not like because he always behaved as though she were one of a vast public of elderly ladies who were useful for helping in clerical displays but were otherwise non-existent then she hated children so that she really often wondered why she continued to live with her brother-in-law but it was cheap comfortable and safe and although she assured herself and every one else that there were countless homes wildly eager to receive her it was perhaps just as well not to put their eagerness too abruptly to the test there had been war between her and jeremy since jeremy's birth but it had been war of a rather mild and inoffensive character consisting largely in jeremy on his side putting out his tongue at her when she could not see him and she on her side sending him to wash his ears when they really did not require to be washed she had felt always in jeremy an obstinate dislike of her and as he had seemed to her neither a very clever nor intelligent child she had consoled herself very easily with the thought that he did not like her simply because he was stupid so it had been until this year and then suddenly they had been flung into sharper opposition it was hard to say what had brought this about but it was perhaps that jeremy had sprung suddenly from the unconscious indifference of a young child into the active participation of a growing boy whatever the truth might have been the coming of hamlet had drawn their attitudes into positive conflict aunt amy had felt from the first that hamlet laughed at her had you asked her to state as a part of her general experience that she really believed that dogs could laugh at human beings she would indignantly have repudiated any idea so fantastic nevertheless unanalyzed and unconfronted that was her conviction the dog laughed at her he insulted her by walking into her bedroom with his muddy feet and then pretending that he hadn't known that it was her bedroom regarding her through his hair with an ironical and malicious glance barking suddenly when she made some statement as though he enjoyed immensely an excellent joke but above all despising her she felt so that the wall of illusion that she had built around herself had been pulled down by at least one creature more human she knew in spite of herself than many human beings therefore she hated hamlet and scarcely a day passed that she did not try to have him flung from the house or at least kept in the kitchen offices hamlet had however won the hearts of the family it was indeed aunt amy alone to whom he had not thought it worth while to pay court to her alone he would not come when she called by her alone he would not be cajoled even though she offered him sugary tea his deadliest temptation no he sat and looked at her through his hair his fiery eye glinting his peaked beard ironically humorous his leg stuck out from his body a pointing signal of derision she resolved to wait for an opportunity when she might conquer hamlet and jeremy together but her power in the house was slight so long as mr and mrs cole were there if i only had the children to myself she would say i would improve their manners in many ways poor alice then suddenly she did have them 
at the beginning of may mr cole was summoned to take a mission to the seamen of drymouth and mrs cole who had relations in drymouth accompanied him they would be absent from polchester a whole week oh won't aunt amy be a nuisance said jeremy realizing the situation then turning to mary he added we'll pretend to do what she tells us and not do it really that's much the easiest a week is a short time especially at the beginning of a shining and burning may but aunt amy did her best not only with the children but with the servants and even old jordan the gardener who had been with the cole family for twenty years during that short week the cook the parlour-maid rose the housemaid and the boot-boy all gave notice and mrs cole was only able to keep them on her return by raising the wages of all of them jordan who was an old man with a long white beard said to her when she advised him to plant pinks where he had planted tulips and tulips where he had planted pinks and further inquired why the cauliflower that he sent in was so poor and the cabbage so small leave things alone miss nature's wiser than we be not but what you mayn't mean well but fussing's never done any good where nature's concerned nor ever will and when she said that he was very rude to her he shook his head and answered maybe yes and uh, maybe no what's rude to one ain't rude to another out of which answer she could make nothing at all in the schoolroom she sustained a complete defeat at the very outset she was baffled by miss jones she had always despised miss jones as a poor unfortunate female who was forced to teach children in her old age because she must earn her living a stupid sentimental cowed old woman at whom the children laughed she found now that the children instead of laughing at her laughed with her formed a phalanx of protection around her and refused to be disobedient miss jones herself was discovered to have a dry rather caustic sense of humour that aunt amy felt to be impertinence but could not penetrate and is that really how you teach them history miss jones not quite the simplest way surely i remember an excellent governess whom we once had perhaps said miss jones gently you would give them a history lesson yourself miss refuses i would be so glad to pick up any little hints i have of course no time said aunt amy hurriedly but speaking generally i'm afraid i can't approve altogether of your system it isn't very good i'm afraid said miss jones weakly the children would be glad i know to have a few hints from you if you could spare a moment jeremy who was listening giggled tried to turn the giggle into a sneeze and choked jeremy said aunt amy severely oh do look aunt amy cried mary always jeremy's faithful ally all your hairpins are dropping out she devoted herself then to jeremy and worried him in every possible way and after two days of this he hated her with a deep and bitter hatred very different from that earlier teasing of miss jones that had sprung from a sudden delicious discovery of power and had been directed against no one this was a real personal hatred that children of a less solid and tenacious temperament than jeremy would have been incapable of feeling he did not laugh at her he did not tease her he no longer put out his tongue at her he was older than that now he was simply reserved and silent 
watching her with his large eyes his square body set and resolved as though he knew that his moment would come her experience with him was baffling she punished him petted him she ignored him she stormed at him it seemed that she would do anything could she only win from him an acknowledgment of her power her capability but she could not he only said yes aunt amy no aunt amy she burst out you're a sullen wicked little boy jeremy do you know what happens to little boys who sulk no aunt amy they grow into cross bad-tempered men whom nobody likes and nobody trusts do you want to be like that when you're a man i don't care you know what happened to don't care i shall have to punish you if you're rude to me what have i done that's rude you mustn't speak to me like that is that the way you speak to your mother no aunt amy well then if you don't speak to your mother like that you mustn't speak to me like that either no aunt amy well then this hatred was quite new to him he had once years ago hated a black-faced doll that had been given to him he had not known why he hated it but there it had been he had thrown it out of the window and the gardener had found it and brought it into the house again battered and bruised but still alive with its horrid red smile and this had terrified him he had begun to burn it and the nurse had caught him and slapped him he had begun to cut it with scissors and when the sawdust flowed he was more terrified than ever but that doll was quite different from aunt amy he was not terrified of her at all he hated her hated the fringe of her black hair the heavy eyelashes the thin down on her upper lip the way that the gold cross fell up and down on her breast her thin blue-veined hands her black shoes she was his first enemy and he waited as an ambush hides and watches for his opportunity Two one of our nicest old maids miss madison gave every year what she called her early summer party this was different from all our other parties because it occurred neither in the summer nor in the winter but always during those wonderful days when the spring first began to fade into the high bright colours the dry warmth the deep green shadows of the heat of the year it was early in may that miss madison had her party and we played games on her little sloping green lawn and peered over her pink brick wall down on to the brown roofs of the houses below the close and had a tremendous tea of every kind of cake and every kind of jam in her wainscoted dining-room that looked out through its tall open windows on to the garden those old houses that run in a half-moon round the close and face the greensward and the great western door of the cathedral are the very heart of polchester walking down the cobbled street one may still to-day look through the open door down the dusky line of that little hall out into the swimming colour of the garden beyond in these little gardens what did not grow hollyhocks pinks tulips nasturtiums pansies lilies of the valley roses honeysuckle sweet williams stop i remember them all at their different seasons in that muddled absurd profusion 
I can smell them now, can see them in their fluttering colors, the great gray wall of the cathedral with its high carved door and watching saints behind me, the sun beating onto the cobbles, the muffled beat of the summer day, the sleepy noises of the town, the pigeons cutting the thin papery blue into arcs and curves and circles, the little lattice-windowed houses with crooked chimneys and shining doors smiling down upon me i can smell too that especial smell that belonged to those summer hours a smell of dried blotting paper of corn and poppies from the fields of cobblestones and new-baked bread and lemonade and behind the warmth and colour the cool note of the cathedral bell echoed through the town down the high street over the meads across the river out into the heart of the dark woods and the long spaces of the summer fields i can see myself too toiling up the high street my cap on the back of my head little beads of perspiration on my forehead and my eyes always gazing into the air so that i stumbled over the cobbles and knocked against doorsteps all these things had to do with miss madison's party and it was always her party that marked the beginning of them for us she waited for the fine weather and so soon as it came the invitations were sent out the flower-beds were trimmed, the little green wooden seats under the mulberry-tree were cleaned, and Poopy, the black poodle, was clipped. It happened this year that Miss Madison gave her party during the very week that Mr. and Mrs. Cole went to Drymouth. She sent out her invitations only three days before the great event, because the summer had come with so fine a rush. Master Jeremy and the Mrs. Cole, would they give Miss Madison the pleasure— Oh, yes, of course they would. Aunt Amy would take them. On the morning of the great day, Jeremy poured the contents of his watering-can upon Aunt Amy's head. It was a most unfortunate accident, arranged, obviously, by a malignant fate. Jeremy had been presented with a pot of pinks, and these, every morning, he most faithfully watered. He had a bright red watering-can, bought with his own money, and because it held more water than the pinks needed, he was in the daily habit of emptying the remnant in a glittering shower out of the pantry window onto the bed nearest the garden wall. Upon this morning someone called him. He turned his head. The water still flowed, and Aunt Amy, hatless and defenceless, received it as it tumbled with that sudden rush which always seizes a watering-can at its last gasp jeremy was banished into his room where he employed the sunny morning in drawing pictures of aunt amy as a witch upon the wallpaper for doing this he was caned by aunt amy herself with a ruler and at the end of the operation he laughed and said she hadn't heard him at all in return for this impertinence he was robbed at luncheon of his pudding which was of course on that very day marmalade pudding and then, Mary being discovered putting some of hers into a piece of paper, to be delivered to him in due course, they were both stood in different corners of the room, until you say you're sorry. When the jingle arrived at three o'clock, they had still not made this acknowledgment, and Jeremy said he never would, not if he lived till he was ninety-nine. At quarter-past three, Jeremy might have been seen, sitting up very straight in the jingle, his face crimson from washing and temper. He was wearing his new sailor suit, which tickled him, and was hot and sticky. 
he sat there devoting the whole of his energies to the business of hating aunt amy as i have said he had never hated any one before and he was surprised at the glow of virtuous triumph that this new emotion spread over his body he positively loved to hate aunt amy and as parks the pony slowly toiled up the hill to the cathedral he sat stiff and proud with an almost humorous anger then as they turned over the hot shining cobbles into the close and saw the green trees swimming in the sun he turned his mind to the party what games would they play who would be there what would there be for tea he felt creeping over him the stiff shyness that always comes when one is approaching a party and he wished that the first handshaking and the first plunge into the stairs of the critical guests might be over but he did not really care his hatred of aunt amy braced him up when one was capable of so fine and manly an emotion as this hatred one need not bother about fellow-guests then the jingle stopped outside a house immediately opposite the great west end door of the cathedral in the little hall miss madison was standing and from the glittering garden behind her the sun struck through the house into the shadowed street jeremy's public manners were when he pleased quite beautiful the true old-fashioned courtesy gushing friends of the cole family used to say he was preparing to be very polite now when suddenly the voice of the dean's earnest ordering people about in the garden struck upon his ear he had not seen the dean's earnest for nearly three months for the very good reason that that gentleman had been experiencing his first term at his private school last year young ernest and jeremy had been on the whole friendly although ernest who was nine and strong for his age had always patronized and now jeremy longed to inform his friend that he also shortly would proceed to school that in another six months time there would be practically no difference between them nevertheless at the present moment there was a difference ernest had a whole term to his credit new arrivals gently insinuated the cole family into the garden helen proud and cold mary blinking and nervous stood pressed close together whilst other little girls stared and giggled moved forward and then backward again until suddenly canon lasker's emily who was fifteen and had such long legs that she was known as the giraffe came up and said isn't it hot do you play croquet please do i'll have uh, the blue ball and the coals were initiated meanwhile aunt amy had said now jeremy dear run about and make friends which so deeply infuriated him that he choked oh supposing the dean's earnest had heard her and he had a mocking laugh behind him said now jeremy dear jeremy turned round and beheld the dean's earnest mockingly waiting his retort and he could not retort no words would come and he could only stand there his cheeks flushed aware that ernest had grown and grown during those three months that he wore a straw hat with a black and red ribbon upon it that round his long ugly neck was a stiff white collar and across his waistcoat a thick silver watch-chain hello said jeremy hello said the new ernest scornfully a long pause 
then ernest turning on his heel said to someone behind him let's get away from all these girls the tears burnt in jeremy's eyes hot and salt he clenched his fists and gazed upon a garden that swam in a mist of tears and sunlight he felt a sudden strange impulse of family affection he would like to have gathered behind him his father and mother mary helen hamlet uncle samuel yes and even aunt amy and to have advanced not only upon ernest but upon the whole dean's family it would have given him great pleasure to have set his teeth into the fat legs of the dean himself he would gladly have torn the hat from the head of mrs dean upon ernest there was no torture he would not employ he would get even he resolved that before he left that house he would have his revenge kind miss madison tripping along and seeing him as a pathetic little boy in a sailor suit without guile or malice swept him into an i spy party composed for the most part of small girls who fell down and cried and said they would go home jeremy hiding behind a tree watched the thin back of ernest as it lifted itself autocratically above two small boys who looked up to him with saucer eyes ernest was obviously talking about his school jeremy lost in the contemplation of his vengeance forgot his game and was taken prisoner with the greatest of ease he did not care the afternoon was spoilt for him he was not even hungry why could he not go to school to-morrow and then challenge ernest to combat but he might challenge ernest without going to school he had never fought a real fight but the sight of his enemy's thin peaky body was encouraging now jeremy dear said miss madison it's your turn to hide soon they all went in to tea every one was thoroughly at home by this time and screamed and shouted quite in the most natural manner in the world the long table stretched down the whole room almost from wall to wall the sunlight played in pools and splashes upon the carpet and the flowers and the pictures there was every sort of thing to eat thin bread and butter rolled up into tiny curly sandwiches little cakes and big cakes seed cakes and sugar cakes and of course saffron buns jam in little shining dishes and hot buttered toast so buttery that it dripped onto your fingers jeremy sat next to mary and behind him hovered aunt amy only half an hour ago now this would have angered him to have her interfering with him saying not two at a time jeremy or pass the little girl the sugar jeremy remember your manners or not so big a piece jeremy but now he did not know she was one of the family and he felt as though the dean's earnest had scorned her as well as himself also mary he felt kind to mary and when she whispered are you enjoying it jeremy he answered yes are you not because he was really enjoying it but because he knew that she wanted him to say that he could see ernest from where he sat and he knew that ernest was laughing at him he remembered that he had given ernest three splendid marbles just before his departure to school as a keepsake how he wished that he had kept them he would never give ernest anything again except blows mary might be tiresome sometimes but she was his sister and he greatly preferred her as a girl to ernest's sisters 
He could see them now, greedy, ugly things. "'Now, Jeremy, wipe your mouth,' said Aunt Amy. He obeyed at once. 3. Tea over, they all trooped out into the garden again. The evening light now painted upon the little green lawn strange trembling shadows of purple and grey. The old red garden wall seemed to have crept forwards as though it would protect the house and the garden from the night, and a sky of the faintest blue seemed with gentle approval to bless the quiet town fading into dusk beneath it. Over the centre of the lawn the sun was still shining, and there it was warm and light. But from every side the shadows stealthily crept forward. A group of children played against the golden colour, their white dresses patterns that formed figures and broke and formed again. The cathedral bell was ringing for evensong, and its notes stole about the garden, and in and out amongst the children, as though some guardian spirit, watching over their safety, counted their numbers. Jeremy, feeling rather neglected and miserable, stood in the shadow near the oak on the farther side of the lawn he did not want to play with those little girls and yet he was hurt because he had not been asked the party had been a most miserable failure and a year ago it would have been such a success he did not know that he was standing now in the middle of his eighth year at the parting of the ways that only yesterday he had been a baby and that he would never be a baby again he did not feel his independence, he felt only inclined to tears, and a longing that he would never, never confess, even to himself, that someone should come and comfort him. Nevertheless, even at this very moment, although he did not know it, he, a free, independent man, was facing the world for the first time on his own legs. His mother might have realized it had she been there, but she was not mary however was there and in the very middle of her game searching for him as she was always doing she found him desolate under the shadow of the oak she slipped away and coming up to him with the shyness and fear that she always had when she approached him because she loved him so much and he could so easily hurt her said aren't you coming to play jeremy i don't care he answered gruffly it isn't fun without you she paused and added, "'Would you mind if I stayed here, too?' "'I'd rather you played,' he said, and yet he was comforted by her, determined as he was that she should never know it. "'I'd rather stay,' she said, and then gazed with that melancholy stare through her large spectacles that always irritated Jeremy out across the garden. "'I'm all right,' he said again. "'Only my stocking tickles, and I can't get at it. It's the back of my leg.' "'I say, Mary, don't you hate the dean's earnest?' "'Yes, I do,' she answered fervently, although she had not thought about him at all. "'Enough for her that Jeremy should hate him.' Then she gasped. "'Here he comes!' He was walking towards them with a swagger of his long yellow neck and his thin leggy body that Jeremy found especially offensive. Jeremy bristled, and Mary was conscious of that bristling. "'Hello,' said Ernest. "'Hello!' said jeremy what rot these silly games are said ernest why can't they have something decent like cricket jeremy had never played cricket so he said nothing at our school said ernest we're very good at cricket we win all our matches always i don't care about your school said jeremy breathing through his nose 
the dean's earnest was obviously surprised by this he had not expected it his pale neck began to flush look here young cole he said none of your cheek this was a new dialect to jeremy who had no friends who went to school all he said however breathing more fiercely than before was i don't care oh don't you said ernest now look here then he paused apparently uncertain for a moment of his courage the sight of mary's timorous anxiety however reassured him and he continued it's all right for you this sort of thing you ought to be in the nursery with your old podge-faced nurse kids like you oughtn't to be allowed out of their prams i don't care said jeremy again seeing in front of him the whole family of the reverend dean your school isn't much anyway i expect and i'm going to school in september and i'll wear just the same things as you do and-he wanted to comment upon the plain features of ernest's sisters but his gentlemanly courtesy restrained him he paused for breath and ernest seized his advantage you have to have an old aunt to look after you anyway an ugly old aunt i wouldn't have an old aunt always hanging over me now jeremy dear blow your nose jeremy dear wipe your feet jeremy dear look at the things she wears and the way she walks if i did have to have an aunt always i'd have a decent one not an old clothes-bag what happened to jeremy at the moment did he recollect that only a few hours before he had been hating aunt amy with a fine frenzy of hatred for nearly a week he had been chafing under her restraint combating her commands defying her orders he had been seeing her as everything that the dean's earnest had but now been calling her now he only saw her as someone to be defended someone who was his someone even who depended on him for support he would have challenged a whole world of deans in her defence he said something but no one could hear his words then he sprang upon the startled ernest it was not a very distinguished combat it was jeremy's first battle and he knew at that time nothing of the science of fighting the dean's ernest in spite of his term at school also knew nothing and the dean's ernest was a coward it lasted but a short while for mary after the first pauses of horrified amazement aware only that ernest was twice as big as her jeremy ran to appeal to authority jeremy himself was aware neither of time nor prudence he realized immediately that ernest was a coward and this realization filled him with joy and happiness he had seized ernest by his long yellow neck and with his other hand he struck at eyes and cheeks and nose he did not secure much purchase for his blows because their bodies were very close against one another but he felt the soft flesh yield and suddenly something wet against his hand which must he knew be blood and all the time he was thinking to himself i'll teach him to say things about my aunt amy aunt amy's mine i'll teach him he shan't touch aunt amy he shan't touch aunt amy ernest meanwhile kicked and kicked hard he also tried to bite jeremy's hand and also to pull his hair but his own terror handicapped him every inch of his body was alarmed and that alarm prevented the freedom of his limbs then when he felt the blood from his nose trickle on to his cheek his resistance was at an end panic flooded over him like water 
he broke away and flung himself howling onto the ground kicking his legs and screaming it ain't fair he's bitten me take him away take him away jeremy himself was no beautiful sight his hair was wild his white navy collar crumpled and soiled the buttons of his tunic torn his stocking down and his legs already displaying purple bruises but he did not care he was well now he was no longer unhappy he had beaten ernest and he was a man he had risen victorious from his first fight and authority might storm as it pleased authority soon arrived and there were of course many cries and exclamations ernest was led away still howling jeremy stubborn obstinate and silent was also led away a disgraceful incident aunt amy of course was disgusted couldn't leave the boy alone one minute but he must misbehave himself upset the party be the little ruffian that he always was she had always said that his mother spoiled him and here were the fruits of that foolishness how could she ever say enough to miss madison her delightful party completely ruined shocking shocking too terrible and ernest such a quiet well-behaved little boy as a rule it must have been jeremy who while they were waiting in the decent dusk of miss madison's sitting-room for a cleaned and chastened jeremy mary touched her aunt's arm and whispered in her nervous voice aunt amy jeremy hit ernest because he said rude things about you about me nonsense child no but it was really ernest said horrid things about you and then jeremy hit him about me what things that you were ugly eagerly continued mary never a tactful child and intent now only upon jeremy's reputation and wore ugly clothes and horrid things he did really i heard it all aunt amy was deeply moved her conceit her abnormal all-embracing conceit was wounded yes even by so insignificant a creature as the dean's earnest but she was also unexpectedly touched she would have greatly preferred not to be touched but there it was she could not help herself she did not know that in all her life before any one had ever fought for her and that now of all champions in the world fate should have chosen jeremy who was she had supposed her enemy never her defender and that horrid child of the dean she had always disliked him with his long yellow neck and watery eyes how dared he say such things about her he had always been rude to her she remembered once jeremy arrived washed brushed and obstinate he would of course be scolded to within an inch of his life and he did not care he had seen the dean's earnest howling and kicking on the ground he had soiled his straw hat for him dirtied his stiff white collar for him and made his nose bleed he glared at his aunt one eye was rapidly disappearing beneath a blue bruise and he was proud triumphant and very tired farewells were made again many apologies oh nothing i assure you nothing boys will be boys i know from miss madison then they were seated in the jingle jeremy next to aunt amy awaiting his scolding it did not come aunt amy tried she knew what she should say 
she should be very angry disgusted ashamed she could not be any of these things that horrid boy had insulted her she was touched and proud as she had never been touched and proud in her life before jeremy waited and then as nothing came his weariness grew upon him as the old fat pony jogged along as the evening colours of street and sky danced before him sleep came nearer and nearer he nodded recovered nodded and nodded again his body pressed closer to aunt amy's leaned against her his head rested upon her shoulder after a moment's pause she put her arm around him so holding him she stared defiantly and crossly upon the world End of chapter six